Hello, and welcome to the Her Head and Films podcast. I'm your host. My name is Caitlin. If you're new to the podcast, um, you might be wondering who I am. And um, as I said, my name's Caitlin. I'm a writer. Uh, I'm a dreamer. I have a mad, furious passion for cinema, and I started this podcast so that I could talk about films. I live in a rural area in the southern United States, and I don't really, I I haven't really come across people that I really connect to in terms of art and literature and films and the things that I'm really passionate about, so that, so this podcast fills that void. If you're wondering about the title, comes from an email that I sent a friend a few years ago when I was really obsessed with films. I was in the zone and um and I wrote to her, my head isn't in the clouds, my head is in films. And I thought that was the perfect way to describe my relationship with cinema and how um I'm always thinking about cinema. It, it's very much on my brain and it's something that I think about a lot. I don't have any academic or or, uh, specialized knowledge about films. I'm really just a self-taught person who came to cinema um, through various routes. um, but, um, But it's just been something that over the years has really grown and grown and grown. So, um, I really, I like talking about films. I like, I, mainly this podcast is a personal exploration and it's, really my personal musings on cinema and um I like to filter films through my own subjectivity while also trying to talk about larger cultural issues that may be connected to the film so it's a little bit of both and I try to strike that balance for you um today's episode is about um the classic film um it's it was made in 1955 by Sachajit Ray and it's called Potter Panchali, and I feel really compelled to talk about this film. I watched it last night. Uh, well, I started it a few days ago and then finished it last night. And so I just I have to talk about this film because I've really been thinking about it, and it really just has just moved me uh, beyond all words. And I'll try to do the best I can to talk about it. But first, I want to talk about something a little bit more general, but it's still connected to cinema. I really just got into Sachajit Ray's work. It just happened this year. I did see Charulata last year or the year before. I have seen that, well, actually more. I would say 2014 probably I saw Charulata. And I loved that film, but it was not until this year when I watched The Big City, somebody on Twitter, a wonderful person, recommended it to me. And I, I this is something that I love about the internet and social media sometimes. It, it has its dark side. It has its, I mean, often I'm so conflicted about social media and I really feel like I get tired of it, of how it's become this performance in a lot of ways. But there are these other, what keeps me on social media and what keeps me engaged with the internet, especially when it comes to film and literature, is the possibility of revelation and discovery. That every day you go on your Twitter feed, and I'm on Twitter most of the time these days. Sometimes I'm on Tumblr and I'll write on there. But when you go on Twitter, like, you can just, it depends on who you follow, right? 
you can just come across an article or you can meet another cinephile and they can recommend a film to you or you recommend a film to them and a whole world is opened up to you that you didn't have before and so this person who's really great and um, they um, recommended the big city to me and I was like okay I'll watch it you know it, it intrigued me and I watched it and I was like oh my lord and I have an episode about it um, I was just amazed I, I loved it and I, I guess I noticed things in it that I hadn't noticed before when I was watching Charulata and I just realized that Ray really has this masterful vision with his films and that came off with the big city I was so moved by that film and um I mean I'm not going to go into detail about it because I did in the podcast episode and it just got me really interested in Ray and I was like well I'm gonna look more into this I I want to explore more of his work and so I've come to Potter Ponchali but um what I want to say is that I feel like with the discovery or the rediscovery, I guess, of Ray's work, I feel like I'm going through this maybe third or fourth awakening with cinema. Um, I would say the first awakening that I had was probably a decade ago, probably more than a decade ago when I was in high school. It might have been my sophomore or junior year. Um possibly senior but I, I don't think it was my senior year I would say it was my sophomore or junior year and I took a film appreciation class and in that class we watched a lot of Hollywood classics we watched Vertigo and Some Like It Hot and The Wizard of Oz and various Alfred Hitchcock films and that was the first time in my life and I would say I was about 14 15 when I realized that um film could be more than entertainment that film could be an art form just like literature or just like any other art form that exists and so that was a big awakening for me and then I would say a few years later um, I saw The Passion of Joan of Arc by Carl Theodore Dreyer and I would maybe mark that as a second awakening because that was the first time I had really watched a silent film and had been so moved by cinema like you know classic Hollywood is one thing and there are some amazing classic Hollywood films out there but to watch The Passion of Joan of Arc that was sort of a different level for me that was like the first time I would say that I was completely emotionally moved and changed and transformed by a film and haunted like it still haunts me that film I've watched it several times since then and it's just I I can't even talk about that film really so that would be the second awakening I think and I wish I knew what year I'd watched that but I'm pretty sure it came after that um, film appreciation class but I can't be sure I'm not totally sure the third awakening I would say is 2011 when I started to get really interested in art house cinema and and foreign cinema so I, I started watching like um, Chris Marker his film La Jete was a big deal for me and Christoph Kishlovsky's The Double Life of Veronique and the Three Colors trilogy and Michelangelo Antonioni's um, La Ventura and Le Clis and La Noche and Red Desert 
Um, so I watched a lot of those films in 2011 when I started to discover French cinema, European cinema. Um, recently I got more interested in Italian neorealism. Um, so I would say 2011 is the third awakening and I would say this year 2017 is the fourth awakening I would say with Sachajit Ray's work and going beyond European cinema and really looking at Indian Indian cinema and African cinema Arab cinema uh Ir Ir Iranian cinema is very interesting to me I love Abbas Kiarostami and um I've seen Taste of Cherry I've seen Close Up um so I'm getting more and more interested in non-western cinema and um, not that I wasn't interested in it before, because like I said, I've seen several Kurostami films. I've seen um, several Iranian films, and, and I've seen African films. And so it's not like I'm not interested in films outside of Europe or outside the West. But I would say that this year, there is this shift for me and this sort of seismic shift in really wanting to go beyond Europe. Not that there's anything wrong with Europe. It's just that there is this vast um there is this vast swath of cinema history and of cin contemporary cinema as well. And Asian cinema would cinema would fit into that too. Like I'm getting more into like Wang Bing who does really great documentaries about China. Um so, there, like I said, there's this vast swath of cinema history and contemporary cinema that I'm sort of blind to and that I'm uh, ignorant about and that I haven't really experienced enough of. So I do find myself trying to expand um, my viewing and to go beyond Europe, go beyond the West. And um, I think I think Secha Jet Ray's work has really has really opened the door for that I think and I was just thinking about it today how I really feel like 2017 something has really really changed for me and that I since 2011 in 2011 I really discovered the directors that I absolutely adore that would be Ingmar Bergman that would be Andre Tarkovsky that would be Michelangelo Antonioni and then a few years later with Italian neorealism, De Sica and Roberto Rossellini. Um, I really love those directors. And um, did I mention Kishlovsky? So um, Kishlovsky is my favorite director ever. But um, these are some of the directors that I really, really like. Um, so I, I discovered a lot of them in 2011. And since then I haven't had maybe that that instant connection with a director and so when I came across Ray's work this year it it just feels like this electric current in a way it just feels like it feels like what I felt like when I started watching Bergman and I started watching Antonioni and I and I discovered Kishlovsky it's like it, it's that similar obsession it's that similar feeling of discovery and revelation and that's what I'm feeling when I watch Ray. And so that's why I feel so compelled by his work. So, But that's just a little bit of a tangent. I just wanted to talk about how this this is something that's really happening for me. Where I am 
I feel like this is another awakening for me with cinema and that something has changed this year in terms of, of what I'm interested in and what I'm watching. Um, just really trying to go beyond Europe and to explore India and Asia and Africa and, and, um, and the different films of those regions. And so, and I'm watching this really great series on Hulu by Mark Cousins. Uh, it's called the story of film. It's a 15 part series about the history of cinema. And he talks a lot about, um, world cinema and uh, films that are, that maybe haven't been talked about as much. And he does talk about Europe and he does talk about America, but he also talks about Africa and Asia and India and, and um, a lot of different other other different countries uh, that have created cinema. And so I've been um, making a list of a lot of the films that he mentions and that interests me. And my list is like so long now. I have so much to watch. <laughs> but for now, I'm starting with Ray. And I'm going to watch the Apu trilogy this week. And I started with Potter Panchali. And so... Um, and so I feel the need to talk about this film. And so it was made in 1955, um, as I said earlier. And I just want to talk about why this film is so important for me and why I think it's rightfully considered one of the greatest films ever made. Um, I think it rightfully deserves that uh, moniker for sure. It's about a family, in, uh, a Bengali family in rural India. And it consists of the mother um, who is in the home taking care of, of, of the family. The father is often away. I think he's looking for work a lot and he's struggling to find work. There is the daughter, Duga, and there is the son, Apu. And there is an elderly woman referred to as Auntie. Um, so I guess she's considered like an aunt to, to the children. And so... We have this family living in in a rural uh, Bengali village in India in the early 1950s. And this film is an important film in world cinema. And it's an also, also an important film to, to Bengali people and to Indian cinema and Indian people. From what I am seeing uh, when I watch interviews and stuff with the people who uh, were engaged in the film, this this film was actually based on a very important book in India, also called Potter Panchali, and um, and especially an, an important book to Bengalis, um, and that a lot of Bengali uh, people had read it as children and had grown up on the story, and so Ray adapted the book um, and made this film. And what is so important about this film, especially in Indian cinema history, is that up to that point, from what I gather and things that I've seen in documentaries and such is that up to that point, um, Indian cinema was, ma cinema was maybe much more elaborate and much more theatrical and it didn't necessarily focus on people like Apu, um, people living in rural areas, people living, uh, in, in these small villages. It, it was, it was the first film that really wasn't fantasy. It was reality. And it was showing the real lives of a family living in this small rural village in India. And that was actually quite different and quite unique in Indian cinema. And um, 
for me, what's interesting about this film is um, I live in a rural area in in the southern United States. I grew up in North Carolina, and um, I it 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 was a small town that I grew up in, and there are things about Potter Panchali, um, even though this is a very specific story about a family in India, it resonated with me because of my own upbringing. I mean, I didn't grow up in abject poverty or anything like that, and I do understand that the the there is a great deal of poverty that that Apu's family um, is living in, and that they do struggle to get by and things like that, but. This idea of living in nature, this idea of living in a rural area is very resonant for me because it's the way that I grew up. And I, um, when I was a kid, I would explore the woods and I would, um, I was always outside with my uh, friends and we would like lay in the grass and look at the clouds and we would explore the woods and there was like a creek and a stream. And so we were always outside and we were always in nature there were trees and meadows and forests and and so when I was watching this film I thought about um, how it's really amazing when it comes to world cinema how you can be living in a totally different culture in a totally different country like I do in the United States and yet I can watch a film about India and this particular story can have a certain resonance for me. You know, I'm not comparing my situation to that of the family in this film, but I think it's interesting how even today and in, in the Western world, it's very rare to see films about people that live in rural areas. A lot of films tend to focus on people in cities and more urban places, and it, and um, and you see this in in world cinema as well that. There is not the focus as much on people who live outside of, of the city. And um, cities tend to be very dominant in our culture and in our films and books and things like that. And so it's sort of rare to see depictions of, of small town life or rural life or village life. And um, it's sort of something that's very absent. And I think that's something that's very much missing in in the various kinds of art that's out there, whether it's books or, or films or or anything like that. So I thought Potter Panchali, even though it's about a, a, a rural Indian family, that I myself, um, coming from a rural background, having grown up in a small town for much of my life, and even now, um, I, I don't live in North Carolina, but I'm still in the southern region, and I do sort of still live in a rural area where there's lots of grass and trees and forests. And that's really important to me. And I, when I went to college from 2010 to 2014, I went to a more, I wouldn't say it was a city. You know, I certainly wasn't living somewhere like New York City. But I was living somewhere where I was not in a rural setting. And I found myself very sad about it and I missed the trees and the forests and the grass and all of that and I felt very alienated in a more city environment but that's a tangent um, so I liked the way this film explored the lives of ordinary everyday people and that seems to be a theme with Ray's work because he did the same in the big city where which is about a housewife who goes out into the workforce in the 1960s 
and how that sort of affects her and changes her and also affects the dynamic of her family. And, um, but it's about an ordinary family struggling to get by. And Potter Panchali is a similar story about a family who's, who has some financial difficulties. The crux of this movie, though, are the children. It is Duga and Apu. Duga is the older sister. And, um, she is a bit rebellious, a bit rambunctious. Um, she sticks out her tongue to Apu and she, um, she's very playful and she, um, even as a child, she steals fruit from the local orchard and that becomes sort of a conflict with some of the neighbors, but she's someone who sort of subverts those expectations of how a girl should act or how, um, or, or, um, or what a girl should do, you know, and she's playful and she's very alive. I know that's sort of a strange word, but, you know, I remembered being that age and, and when you live sort of in a rural area, I think you have a little bit more freedom, you know, and, and you can go and you can explore the land and you can explore the trees. And I, I saw that in Duga, I saw her uh, playfulness and her rambunctiousness and um, there's this gorgeous scene, and I wish I could find a decent version of it on YouTube to share. You have to watch this film. You just have to watch it because it's about life, and it's about um, it's about human connection. There's a very humanistic aspect to this film, and that I think Ray brings to all his films is this profoundly deep and beautiful humanism. Um, and you get so involved with the characters and you really fall in love with them. And I fell in love with these children. I just, I, I loved their, their playfulness and their openness. And, and I loved the scenes where it showed them playing in nature and they just looked so happy and free. So even though they're, for the adults in the family, there is this constant sort of economic worry, especially that the mother has. And he shows that. He shows that very real struggle that the mother endures. That, that she has to borrow money from neighbors and she has to take on the disapproval of the neighbors because Duca is stealing the fruit sometimes. And and um, she has a lot of pressure on her to take care of these children and she doesn't have enough money to provide food and, and to take care of them the way she would want to. And that, that manifests at times through her anger and her violence. Um, but she's not portrayed in a monstrous or, uh, you know, or in a terrible way. She's really portrayed as this woman who's doing the best that she can. And um, like I said, there's always this very deep humanism in this story. And um, the children really are the crux of it for me. You, there's such a tender relationship between Duga and Apu and they they play together and sometimes they fuss and sometimes he gets on her nerves but there's such a, a great love between the two of them and it's just I grew up as an only child so I don't know what it's like to have a sibling but there but I think sometimes we can see siblings fighting a lot or we can see the discord and the tension and while there is that in this film, at the bottom of all of that is love. There is a great love that that 
they feel for each other as they would in any family, you know. And um, and even though there is this great financial pressure that the parents feel, the children themselves don't seem to be quite as aware of it. And even though they have times where they are hungry and they and um and there's a scene where the where this man comes who sells sweets and candies and Apu and Duca um ask their father for money and, and he doesn't have any and so they go to the school and they're not able to buy any of the sweets. So they, they have moments of wanting, moments of longing, but they still seem very happy. You know, they they love playing, they love running and um running in the fields and the forests and and um they're able, even though even though from the outside people would look at them and say, Oh, they're poor, they are living in poverty and, and maybe pity them or look down on them they themselves have a very strong sense of themselves and they don't have this sense that their life is filled with despair and, and pain. Um, there are moments of wanting, moments of yearning, moments of deprivation, of course, but like I said, overall, there's this great sense of love between this family and um, and it's just beautifully articulated by Ray through the camera and um, as I said before, I, I trailed off, there is this amazing scene in the film that is probably one of the most gorgeous scenes that I've ever witnessed. I mean, in your life, there are there are some scenes that stay with you. For instance, the marionette scene in Krzysztof Kieślowski's The Double Life of Veronique is one for me, or there's this really amazing scene in Two or Three Things I Know About Her by Jean-Luc Godard, where a man is looking, a man or a woman is looking in this cup of coffee, and and the coffee bubbles seem to look like the the galaxy, and they're saying like all these deep things, and I don't know, it was just this really gorgeous scene that I liked. And so in Potter Panchali, there's this scene where the monsoon comes in India, and um, this seems to be a thing in India where they get monsoons and which is like really intense rainfall and winds and and things like that and and so it's coming it comes to the village and instead of running away from it or being fearful of it Duca especially she goes out and she plays in the rain and she swings her hair around and she's smiling and it's this ecstatic moment of like reveling in nature and um I sort of think about for myself like I don't I don't know if it's only in the country but it feels like it when you live in a rural area there is this smell after it rains where it just re it releases and I think there's a word for it called petrichor where it releases sort of the scent of the earth and the soil and the dirt and it's just this stunning smell um that you get and I mean when I was in college and I was in more of a city area, I didn't smell it quite as much. So I almost feel like it's connected to the rural and to the country. And so it sort of reminded me of my own experiences of the rain and, and things like that. And But it's so beautiful to watch Duca just playing in the rain and and um, feeling it on her skin. It's, it's this very sensual and sensuous scene. And, um, and I love how the scene starts. Like... 
at first there's just some clouds in the sky and then all of a sudden this drop of water falls on this this bald man's head and so it's it's sort of playful in a way the way ray sets the scene up and you just see duca sort of playing in the rain and she seems so free and so uh, you know just gorgeous it's it's this stunning scene of Ray really paying attention to nature and really basking and reveling in the sensuality of nature and the freedom that one feels when one is in nature. And it's just probably one of the most exquisite scenes that I've ever witnessed in cinema. And um, I mean, that alone is worth watching the film and the relationship between the characters and especially the... the um, the sister brother relationship between Apu and Duca. It's, um, I'm not sure what else to say. I don't want to give away the film or what happens. So I don't want to go too deeply into the plot details because I really think you should go into this film, um, not really knowing a lot of what's going to happen because, um, it really builds and builds this sort of emotional crescendo in the film. And, um, I just think Ray did such an exquisite job of portraying the lives of everyday ordinary people in a rural area and and people um trying to make ends meet, trying to raise their children and and um just this family full of love and but it's not without its moments of discord, it's not without its moments of of pain and he really just shows the full complexity of, of, of that situation, the pressure that the mother feels and the anguish that she goes through and and the children, um, their experience of, of nature and of growing up. And there's just so much to this film. I don't think I could ever do it justice um, in a podcast, but I really did want to talk a little bit about it. And... Um, I think Ray has such a very singular cinematic vision. I, I just the way he he composes uh, the scenes, and I I don't even know how to talk about it because I don't know the technical terms. Like I said, I'm very self self taught. It sounds like he started out as like a graphic designer, and he used to design book covers, and that really doesn't surprise me very much um, because there is something very artistic, very visually artistic about the way his scenes are composed and and I love that he used actors for the most part the children uh the children actors were um were not trained they were just everyday children and he really elicited such naturalistic performances from them and um, there's an interview that the young Duga does. Um, she's grown up now, of course, and she was talking about her experience on the set um, working with Ray. Her name is Shampa Shravastava. And um, she played Duga as like very, like six years old. And she talked about working with Ray and how he would... Um, he would just tell her to do things and she would do them. It, it was pretty simple. She would just sort of listen to his direction. And there was one scene where she's looking at the auntie as the auntie is eating. And um, she's supposed to be hungry herself. And Ray sort of actually sort of put off her meal um, so that she would sort of maybe 
look hungry on screen you know not in a not in a vicious way or anything you know I mean I'm sure she eventually got some food but and he would tell her to sort of look at the auntie's hand as as her hand is going up and she's eating and and to play with a string and and so he would give her certain kinds of direction and, and she would follow them and and um so he he liked to use maybe child actors who were a bit untrained and much more natural and it's really amazing the sorts of performances that he did get out of his his younger actors and and um I guess he just sort of knew how to do that. He knew how to connect with children and and um but as I've said in another podcast, I don't know if Ray really is as famous or as well known as he really should be like why did it take me this long like I don't know that's on me that's on me because I watched Charulata several years ago and I don't I just don't think it hit me the way these other films have hit me I, I don't know why it took me a little too long to discover Ray's work I mean I I knew about Godard I knew about Truffaut I knew I love Truffaut by the way I didn't mention him earlier um, but I'm a big, I'm much more of a Truffaut fan than a Godard fan, personally. Um, you know, I knew about Tarkovsky, I knew about Kuchlovsky. Uh, I just wasn't as, well, I just wasn't as aware of Ray's work. And now I'm like, why did it take so long? Because I, I really think that, and I said this on Twitter, and I'll say it again, like, you're, you don't really know cinema until you've seen a Satya Jet Ray film, or at least seen Potter Panchali. I just feel like you can call yourself a film buff and a cinephile, but I feel like if you have not seen Potter Panchali, there is something missing. There, There is a chunk missing from your cinema vocabulary and your cinema education, really, because this is such an important film about an everyday family, um... And it resonates beyond that Bengali village. It, it resonates, I think, for anybody who comes from a, from maybe a small town world or, or a rural or a village life. Or, And it resonates beyond that. You certainly don't have to come from the country to relate to the film. I'm, I'm not saying that at all, but I think it has that deeper resonance of that it's capturing capturing people that maybe you don't often see in cinema you don't often see these stories being told and I think he continued to do that throughout his career really like with the big city is films about real people and real issues and and real pain and real joy and um always a very deep and beautiful humanism throughout all of his stories and um I definitely I'm gonna con continue to watch his work and I'm going to continue to watch the Apu trilogy this is the first um in the trilogy and so um I still have many more Ray films to watch but as I said earlier I feel like this is really a shift for me and and that I definitely am discovering a different kind of cinema I think and I'm trying to definitely expand my knowledge about cinema beyond Europe and beyond the West and to go to go deeper and into um, different forms of cinema around the world and it just it's still just amazing to me like I live in this little little place in the United States 
like, <laughs> I live in a place where most people really want to get out and really want to leave. Um, I don't live any kind of exciting or interesting life. Um, I haven't traveled. I haven't gone outside the United States because I'm, I don't have the money. <laughs> and I, I, I do come from a working class, poor, poor background. Um, and that's been a struggle for much of my life. So I haven't really had the resources or the opportunities to travel around the world like some people. And um, I really kind of do my traveling through cinema and through books and, and things like that because I have to. And um, it's just amazing to me to watch a film that's set in India or set in China or Japan or, or in any of those places. I, I really want to watch more Ozu Um Ozu is one of those directors that I think is probably up there with such a jet ray. I've seen Tokyo Story and Late Spring, and, and so he's definitely a director that I would like to explore more this year, too, because I do think Ozu is is just monumental in many ways. But I, I have to start somewhere, so I'm on Ray right now and doing the Apu Trilogy. So it's just amazing to me to watch these films set in other countries, other time periods, like decades and decades ago. And yet I watch them now and, you know, living in my little world, my little small town um, in the 21st century. And and um, there are so many things about them that I that resonate with me that I find very moving that um, I think are beautiful. And and it just really expands our world. I mean things get harder each day, especially under this Trump presidency, you know, um, as we all know, people who voted for him really voted for him because they don't like diversity and they don't like difference and they are quite racist, I would have to say. And the media doesn't want to use that terminology, but there are articles that have been written and, and really people were saying this after the election as well, that this is racism. He got elected because of racism and an anti-immigrant um, sentiment and xenophobia and sexism. And, and, but we're starting to see the whole, the cold, hard data, you know, that shows this wasn't about economic anxiety, that this wasn't, that's not what this was about. This was about people who don't want, are not open to people who are different from them, people who are different races and different religions and um, different nationalities and ethnicities. This is about racism and nativism and, and uh, this is about fear. This is about fear of difference, fear of, of, of the other, I guess you could say. And, um, and so I think it's all the more important and I, and I know other cinephiles and other people who love films have said this as well, you know, it's, and the, the nominees for best foreign film during the Oscars this year said the same thing in a statement that we need to be breaking down boundaries and borders and walls instead of building them up. And I think if you, if you do that, if you watch more cinema about people outside of your country, outside of your language, and open yourself up to the myriad stories and the myriad ways of life that exist in this world. I think you will be a better person for it. Um, 
to watch a, a film like Potter Panchali about a Bengali family in India. It's you see that yes, there are differences. There are very we all live in within very specific social and cultural contexts that should never be erased or minimized. Um, but there are things that connect us as well and that we need to stop dehumanizing one another and demonizing one another. And we need to be open to different stories and open to different lives and different experiences that are, that are, um, not the same as ours. And, um, unfortunately something is happening in the United States and I guess it's been happening a long time uh, that is very ugly and I'm not I'm not sure what's gonna happen you know people are being killed you know people are being murdered because they are Muslim or because they are Sikh or they are an immigrant you know lives are being lost people are being deported and of course, we know Obama deported two and a half million um, people. So, you know, this is still an issue. And um, the the intolerance and the hatred and the fear that's rising in this country um, that's always sort of been there, and the racism, of course, it's just it leaves you just sort of breathless and 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 speechless uh what's happening and and so i don't know how to combat that really i think we just have to keep doing our best um to listen and to not become the thing that we despise you know, I, I don't want to be like those people who supported Trump. I, I don't want to be like that ever. Um, I want to be someone who I'm per certainly not perfect. And we all have our faults and our flaws and our prejudices and our biases. But I try so hard to learn about other people and other cultures and things outside of myself. I try so hard. I really do. And it's important to me. And and cinema is one way that I do that, where I I have to do this as a human being. I have to watch these films, and I have to see these stories, and they are important to me. You know, Such a Jet Ray's voice is important to me, and what he had to say, and what he had to show. And I think what he created, and what he saw, and what he expressed and communicated through his films is important and I think it matters just like what Kurostami uh, communicated through his films and Ozu and what Agnes Varda and Chantal Ackerman and, and so many other directors the stories that they tell these are important to me and they are often about lives on the margins and um, and I think those are important stories stories to tell and to experience for yourself I mean you are you are changed by those stories you really are and um I don't know how you can watch something like Moonlight and not be affected by it or changed by it or um or like Ava DuVernay's documentary 13th I don't know how that can't just change you <laughs> and and how you see 
prison and incarceration and racism in this country so there are certain films that are they're so important in the way that they awaken you and how they um they really wake you up to the world and to the diversity and and the vastness of the world and to the humanity of all people and so yeah I feel like I'm just rambling at this point but um those were just some of my thoughts about Potter Panchali I I struggle to even talk about it. It's it's just this beautiful, poetic, wondrous film with some really gorgeous scenes about life and about um, love and family. And so I'm still thinking about it. I'll probably always think about it. And it's sort of become a touchstone for me now, this film. I just... I, I don't think I'll ever get over it, <laughs> honestly. I just, if you have the chance to see it, I would see it. I watched it on Filmstruck. Um, that's the website I watched it on. And there's a lot of extra features as well, like interviews with the cast and, and the crew. And I've been watching those as well. So just trying to immerse myself in Ray's world and his, his cinematic vision and it's been an honor. I mean, there are certain films you watch and it's just, it's an honor. It's, you feel grateful that you're alive to see this film. You just feel this great privilege and this great honor that you, that you got the chance to see it. And that, um, yeah, that's how I feel about this film. I don't feel that way about every film that I watch, but with this film, I feel that way. Like it's, it's an honor. (laughs) to even be able to see it and um what an accomplishment what a masterpiece what a contribution to the world ray made to all of us really in this film just so beautiful so important and like i said you you need to see it you really do so it'll affect you i think i think if you have a heart (laughs) it will affect you and um Yeah. I don't know what else to say. I think that's all. Thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. Uh, Bye for now.